All right, hey, good morning, everybody. Let's make our way back to our seats this morning as we get prepared to get into the Word today. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to the very end of the book, Revelation. It's where we've been hanging out the last four weeks. We are planning to land this plane today with this series that we've been on called Seven Letters to Seven Churches. Uh, how many of you have gotten some things out of this series so far that it... That, yeah, yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that. That's good. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at the final church in this series. Uh, it is good to see your faces today. So good to see you. Uh, how about uh, our, our worship team today, man? Just phenomenal job. Phenomenal job. Let's look at this to get things started. It's Revelation 3, verse 14. We're going to look at this. Last church, the church in Laodicea. Jesus tells John the apostle to write, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, he says, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So, I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door... I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his. And anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let's pray over this today. Father, as we come before you, we are thankful as we have been singing from our hearts, we give you all our worship. We give you all, Lord, because you deserve the glory no matter what. And God, we, we open your word today, not out of routine, but Lord, out of the desire to gain revelation and to understanding as to how what you say will apply to our life. So right now we give you our attention, our thoughts, our ears, our devotion and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to grasp and to, and to glean what we need today that will help us move forward, help us take that next step in the right direction. I pray, Lord, that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth will be honorable to you, and what I say will help your people grow more in their faith in you. We love you, and we honor you, and we thank you now. In Jesus' name, everybody can say Amen. I came across this, 
this poem recently. It's written by someone that I doubt you've heard of, but uh, nonetheless, her, I give credit to her. Her name is Ariana, not Grande, but Freeland. Ariana Freeland. <laughs> That'd be weird if I read an Ariana Grande poem, right? I don't know. Uh, Ariana Freeland. And, uh, but here's the title of her poem and the title of today's message. Church is hard. Church is hard. Church is hard. It's a little long, so bear with me. Church is hard for the person walking through the doors afraid of judgment. Church is hard for the preacher's family under the microscope of an entire body. Church is hard for the prodigal soul returning home broken and battered by the world. Church is hard for the girl who looks like she has it all together but doesn't. Church is hard for the couple who fought the entire ride to church. Church is hard for the single mom surrounded by couples holding hands in seemingly perfect families. Church is hard for the widow and widower with no invitation to lunch after service. Church is hard for the deacon with an estranged child. Church is hard for the person singing worship songs overwhelmed by the weight of the lyrics. Church is hard for the man insecure in his role as a leader. Church is hard for the wife who longs to be led by a righteous man. Church is hard for the nursery volunteer, volunteer who desperately longs for a baby to love. Church is hard for the single woman and single man praying God brings them a mate. Church is hard for the teenage girl wearing a scarlet letter ashamed of her mistakes. Church is hard for the sinners. Church is hard for me. It's hard because on the outside it all, it all looks shiny and perfect, Sunday best in behavior and dress. However, underneath those layers, you find a body of imperfect people, carnal souls, selfish motives. But here is the beauty of the church. Church isn't a building mentality or expectation. Church is a body. Church is a group of sinners saved by grace, living in fellowship as saints. Church is a body of believers bound as brothers and sisters by an eternal love. Church is a holy ground where sinners stand as equals before the throne of grace. Church is a refuge for broken hearts and a training ground for mighty warriors. Church is a converging of confrontation and invitation where sin is confronted and hearts are invited to seek restoration. Church is a lesson in faith and trust. Church is a bearer of burdens and a giver of hope. Church is a family. A family coming together, setting aside differences, forgetting mistakes, rejoicing in the smallest of victories. Church, the body, and the circle of sinners turned saints is where he resides. And if we ask, he is faithful to come. So even on the hard days at church, the days when I am at odds with a friend, when I've walked in bearing burdens heavier than my heart can handle, yet masking the pain with a smile on my face... When I've worn the pressures of the world under the microscope, when I've longed for a baby to hold or fought tears as the lyrics were sung, when I've walked back in afraid and broken after walking away, I'll remember he has never failed to meet me there. Church. Never once have we ever walked alone. Never once have we been on our own. Never once. Church is hard because life is hard. The Laodicean church made church hard. God did not make church hard. People make church hard. 
because we are people. Like the city, the church was mirroring what was in front of them instead of changing what was around them. You know, God calls us as his people, as the church, to bring change and to be changing agents in this world. This city, the Laodicean, uh, the, uh, the city in Laodicea was, it was a wealthy city. It had a strategic banking center. It had economics. The city was prideful in its production of black wool. It had an entrepreneurial spirit. This city uh, had a school, a uh, medical school of ophthalmology. It had education. So it had economics, it had entrepreneurship, and it had education going for it. It sounds like a really booming and taking off type of, of city, but the city had a problem. The city had a water problem. The city had aqueducts running underneath it that, that brought water from, brought icy cold water from the mountains and steamy hot water from the nearby city Herapolis. But by the time that icy cold water and that steamy hot water arrived to the city of Laodicea, it had become lukewarm and had, it was full of sediment. So that water being lukewarm and full of sediment, it was not cold enough to bring refreshing and it was not hot enough to bring relaxation. In other words, it had no good use. And so Jesus likens the church to the city because the church had become like the city. The church had gotten self-sustaining on its own spiritual wealth, on its own self-righteousness, and on its own self-reliance. Like the city of Laodicea, it was wealthy. It was entrepreneurial. It can make it happen. It was proud of its education. But with a city like that having such poor water quality, it was of no value to anybody because you've got to have good water. You've got to have good water. And so Jesus likens this church to that city and says, you're neither hot and you're neither cold. Oh, I just wish you would pick one. I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold, but because you're not... You are like lukewarm water, and like lukewarm water, I can't stand it. I have to spit it out of my mouth. So this church had gotten to a climate, spiritually, of being lukewarm. And he goes on to say, you know, what a terrible place to be, to be lukewarm, but not even realize it. That's not a good spot to be in, people. To be lukewarm is one thing, but then to be lukewarm and then not even realize it. And he goes on to describe in verse 17 what it means to be lukewarm. He says, you say you have everything you need, you have all the wealth you need, all the education you need, all the production you need, but yet you are wretched and, poor, wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You say you have everything, but yet you are spiritually poor. Spiritually poor. And to be lukewarm is not necessarily a denial of God or an embodiment of evil or even just being mildly passionate about God. But it really deals with what Jesus goes into talking about in this letter. 
as about being all about self. They were self-sufficient. They were self-righteous. And they were self-reliant. You see, we tend to label lukewarm as just kind of being, oh, I'm not real excited about the Lord. I'm not, I don't really have a lot of, you know, outward expression. And really, it's not a true definition of the way Jesus describes lukewarmness. True, it can attribute to that. But what really is going on is a work on the inside. A people or a person who is all about me, myself, and I. Self-sufficient, self-righteous, and self-reliant. And that's where this church had gotten to. This church had gotten to a place where it was spiritually poor, spiritually naked, and spiritually blind. Spiritually poor, Jesus says, you rely on your own spiritual wealth. Meaning, you've got enough of the Bible, you don't need any more. You say you got enough scripture in you that you don't really have to sit under teaching anymore. You don't really have to open it up and read it anymore. You, you say you, you rely more on your spiritual wealth. You don't really need what the church can help you with in life. So I don't really need what the church has. I can, I can, I can, be, I can do this God thing all by myself. I don't need to sit under teaching. I don't need to be around people who pray. I don't need to be around a community of believers. I don't need to, you know, offer my gifts to serve. I don't have to try to help meet other people's needs. As long as my needs are met, then I don't need to be busy trying to help other people. I know I'm reliant on my own spiritual wealth. And he says, man, for somebody who says they got it all and they don't need a thing, anything, but yet you, you're not realizing you really are poor. You're spiritually poor. Because you say you can do God all by yourself. You're spiritually naked. Meaning you rely on your own spiritual good works. By saying, you know, I can be a good Christian apart from the church. And if there's ever a time where that lie is out there, it is right now, friends. It is going on right now. So many people buy into that lie, buy into that deception. I can be a good Christian without having to go to church. I can go to church out here. I can go to church on my own. I can do this and do that. And the reality of it is it's false. It's false. It's a product of being spiritually lukewarm. Because I don't need anybody to hold me accountable for how I live my life. And the church has no place in that, is what they're saying. Is what they're saying. So you say you have everything, you don't need anything, but yet you're blind. You're spiritually blind, meaning you rely on your own spiritual perception. Your own spiritual perception by saying, I can determine what's right in my own view. I can determine what's right in my own view. Like the blind, I'll just feel out life. Come on, somebody. I'll just feel out life, and I'll determine what's right. See, I, when I closed my eyes, I thought I was closer to this, and I was all the way out here. You see how blindness can be deceptive? Spiritual blindness can be deceptive. We can think we are actually closer to the Lord, but really we're farther away. Because we're trying to feel life out all on our own. And that's the Laodicean church and what he was dealing with. 
It wasn't, it wasn't a denial of God. It wasn't an embodiment of evil and just blending in with the culture so much as it was relying on yourself for all sufficiency. Thinking, man, I, 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 I know the word. I, I'm good. I don't need the church. I don't need to be around it as much. I, I, can, I can determine what's real, what's true in my life. I don't need somebody telling me my true moral compass in this life. I can determine that on my own. That's why we have so many false doctrines, so many false teachings, so many false hopes in this world because people are no longer being pointed to the true Christ as much as they're being pointed to what feels right. And the church is meant to point people to what is the true north, the true Christ, the risen Christ, the one who, man, come on, he didn't just die so that people could feel right about life. He died so we can know what life was all about. That is what Jesus did, and that is who Jesus is. In fact, Colossians goes on to talk about it a whole lot. This really wasn't part of my notes today, but I, I can't get this part of, of Scripture out of, my, out of my mind. We sang a little bit about it today. If you're writing notes, Colossians 1, 15, 16, 17, really the whole thing. Um, but he says this, Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was ever created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything, and he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. And everything was created through him and for him. Verse 17, he existed, Christ existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Holds all creation together. In verse 18, he is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. What is Jesus after? Not your money. What is Jesus after? Not your nice possessions. What is Jesus after? Not your nice threads, your clothes. What is Jesus after? Your position at work. No, Jesus is after first in your heart. He is after first in our heart. And the Laodicean church failed to keep Christ first. They replaced Christ not a denial per se, but as, as the way they walked out life, the way they lived out life, the way they expressed life, they put themselves first. And any believer who puts themselves first in front of the Lord becomes what Jesus says, lukewarm. You become self-sufficient, self-righteous, and self-reliant. So how do we change that? How do we change the spiritual temperature of our life? How do we change be, not to be lukewarm or not to ever get to be in a place of being lukewarm? Well, Jesus gives us the answer to that. He gives us the answer to that in verse 18. He tells us, hey, buy from me gold purified by fire, buy white garments, and buy ointment for your eyes. Do you see the parallel do you see the parallel there? Gold, white garments, and ointment. Do you see the parallel with the city of Laodicea? They were a wealthy city with a strategic banking center, money. They, they were proud in the production of wool garments, black wool garments. They were also proud of their education, the study of eyes. And what does Jesus say this church needs from him? You need gold, money, 
and, it, and we'll get to what that means. You need white garments, clothing, and you need ointment for your eyes. What is the parallel? The parallel is not natural gold, natural garments, or natural ointment. It's spiritual. It says, buy from me gold that has been purified by fire. Gold that is purified by fire. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about an authentic faith. The symbolism of gold purified by, by fire in the word is an authentic faith. Look at this verse in 1 Peter verse 6. I've chosen the message version to read for us to look at today. He says, I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as the evidence of his victory. Genuine faith put through genuine trials will be proved genuine. Gold refined by fire is an authentic faith, a, ta a faith that has been tested, a faith that is strong, a faith that matures, a faith that grows, a faith that can go through some things and come out better on the other side of it, as opposed to allowing and the hardness of life, if you will, and the excuses that follow to produce lukewarmness and sediment in our spirits. Jesus says, buy from me pure gold, an authentic faith. You need a faith, friends, because you're going to go through life, and the only way you're going to make it through life is not your Hail Marys. The only way you're going to make it through life is an authentic faith, a faith that can be tested, a faith that will allow Jesus to make you stronger, a faith that won't run away and hide, but a faith that will endure, a faith that will persevere, a faith that will always get back up even though you fall seven times. The Bible says the righteous keep getting back up. That is a faith that will not go away. And Jesus said, look, you need that kind of faith that can go through the fire, and as you go through the fire, I make you stronger. A faith that's not afraid, but like one of the opening songs, no place I'd rather be than in your love, because his love cast off all fear. When we stand living in his true love for our life, then fear has no place to stand. And that is one of the most comforting places to live in. So how, how do we buy something? Jesus tells them to buy something, but yet they, they, they say they have everything, but yet he says you don't have everything. You're actually miserable and wretched. You're poor, blind, and naked. You don't really have anything. But then he says, hey, buy this for me. How do we buy something from him when we don't have anything to buy it with? Surrender is the currency to gaining Christ. Surrender is the currency to gaining Christ. When we offer our life to Him, all of it, the good, the bad, the indifferent, 
when we offer it all of our fears, all the heavy burdens you've got going on in your life right now, all the constant plaguing of pain in your soul, all of it, when we offer our life to him, then we are able to gain all he has to offer us. Because the truth is, that, that church could not buy it. We cannot buy it because he says, you don't buy what I have to offer with your money. You gain what I have to offer when you surrender. Why do you think there is such a constant butting of heads in people? Because of pride. Pride comes before a fall. And when we humble ourselves, Peter tells us we get God's grace. And so how do we get God's grace when we humble ourselves, when we surrender our life to him? That's how we buy an authentic faith. How can we allow, how can our faith grow? How can our faith develop? How can our faith mature? How can our faith, we get better as we go through something? How does that happen? As we continually, daily surrender and quit letting ourselves be in control and allow God to be in control. That's how. But he also says, buy from me white garments. Spiritually naked, you need to buy white garments. Folks, we get saved to be made into who we were created to be. And that is to be like Christ. I still got a ways to go. I got a long ways to go, man. When I survey this landscape of my life, dude, I still got some growing. I, I, I got too much Smith in me. I got too much carnality in me. I got too much of my flesh still wanting to live and not enough of Christ. That's why Paul said, I haven't made it yet. But one thing I sure heck do, I, he didn't say heck, but one thing I do is I, I, I forget what lies behind and I press on to what lies ahead. I'm not going to let whatever was of me determine what I can be in Christ. Because I didn't, I got, we get saved so that we can be who we were created to be. We were created to be like Jesus. We were created to be more like Christ. Think about it. Your marriage could stand for each of you to be more like Christ. As parents, our children could stand for us to be more like Christ. Well, you don't know my kids. Parents, your children can stand to be more like Christ. How do they know it? How do they learn it when we do it? This isn't a family message. It just works for all because that's the gospel. It's not about one demographic versus the next. It includes all things about life. Anything Jesus says, apply it to your life. Apply it to that. Apply it to this. Whatever it is, it works. It applies. That's why we don't have to have 52 topics because there are not enough weeks in the year to deal with the issues of our heart. It all fits into the kingdom shape that he has for our life. Amen? All right, but he says you need white garments. We don't do good works to get saved. We are saved to do the good works. Ephesians 2, look at this in the message up on the screen. He says, God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us. Anybody who ever thought that God's up there just waiting to beat us over the head with a 10-foot mallet has the wrong view of who our God is. He wants to shower us with grace and kindness that is in Christ Jesus. 
Saving is all his idea, all his work. We, all we do is trust him enough to just let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make ourselves nor save ourselves. God does both, the making and the saving. I'm so glad. Because if we can make ourselves and save ourselves, we would already be perfect. We wouldn't have any problems, and you would be the number one bestseller author of all time. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the work, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. We don't do the good works in order to get saved or closer to God. We do the good works because he has saved us for those good works. The work was already completed in Christ Jesus, and God in Christ Jesus invites us to be a part of it and puts it out in front of us to partner with him and walk in that. He says, you need white garments. Quit relying on your own self-righteous acts of trying to be good enough to earn your spot. He says, you also need ointment for your eyes. You say you have everything you need. You are confident that you don't have a thing in the world that you need, but yet you, you are blind. You're spiritually blind. And he said, I'm asking you what you need to do if you want to really see, if you want to see life through the lens that I have, through, the, through, through, through my perspective, if you want to see it my way, because the Bible's very clear. It tells us his ways are higher, his ways are better than ours, so therefore his view on everything is perfect. He says, we want to see things, we want to see other people through his eyes, we want to see our situation through his eyes, we want to see ourselves through his eyes. We need ointment, spiritual ointment, he says, is what you need. It's the ability to see your purpose in God, even amidst this hard, hard life. Because let's just get honest, the harder life gets, the harder it is to see straight sometimes. Sometimes you could just be going down the road, you're driving your car, and all of a sudden something pops up off the road and pow, hits your windshield. You're like, man, I hope it didn't crack it. And then all of a sudden it starts to crack and goes all the way across. You're like, all I am is doing is minding my business, driving down the road, and a piece of something flies off of a truck or what have you, and it bounces into my lane and hits my, sh my car. Life is like that. You don't always see it coming. And for someone who tries to think of all the contingencies about life, I still can't prepare for everything. You and I, we just can't prepare for everything. Sometimes it just has to come. Sometimes it just, got, it just has to hit us. Sometimes it just has to whop us upside the head. No matter how prepared we may be, life still hits hard. And so when we have the right perception going on, the right spiritual perception going on, we're able to see God's purpose even amidst hard life times. So we don't have to guess, what is God's purpose for me in this? What is God's plan for me in all of what's happening? We are called to trust him and let him work it out. And as we trust him to let him work it out, he'll open our eyes to see what our purpose is. 
Look at this, Ephesians 1. Skip down. I don't know. The thing about the message is you can't pick a verse. It's all jumped together. Uh, it says, Paul says, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I think of you and give thanks. But I do more than that, he says. I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. So here it is. So your eyes will be focused and your eyes will be clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do, to grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that he has for his followers. Jesus says the, the prescription to being poor, spiritually poor, spiritually naked, spiritually blind, is to surrender. If we want to have, then we got to give up. If we want to possess, then we have to relinquish. If we want to attain, we have to let go. Right? The world is opposite. It says if you want, then you got to climb over everybody to get it. Like Black Friday shopping. God help you if you do that this year. May the grace of God be strong in your life. <laughs> but people crazy. This world crazy. People, when, people, when people want something, people take it. Jesus is like, look, if you want it, you got to let go of it. I know, but I want it. Right, so let go of it. But I need it. I know, let go of it. We have to remember as Christians, we are not called to think and operate like the world does. I know we can get comfortable in our own wealth. We can get comfortable in our own deeds. We, we can get comfortable relying on ourselves and all that we have around us. And that is the danger that Jesus says, hey, beware of. Do not put more stock in this earth than you do in me. Because that stuff, what you rely on, you're, you might be a good person, a good Christian, you might do good things, but please don't take gratification in being good. Take gratification in the one who is always good because you will have a bad day. You will have a bad day. I mean, you can be loving the Lord, praising Him, thanking Him on top of it all, and then the next moment, man, everything crashes. We're all going to have some bad days, so we can't take credit for the good. All we can do with that is attribute it to the Lord. And when we have a bad day, all we can do is humble ourselves and ask God, give me faith to move a mountain and keep on a moving and keep on a going. Because I don't want to be the one who gets left behind. I don't want to be the one who's in the trail dust. I don't want to be the one who's lying on the side of the road and wallowing in my mess ups and all of my stuff and all of my misery and all of my mishaps. No, I want to be the one, Lord, that you take and you heal and you make whole and you send me on my way so that I can be of help to somebody else when they are in that position. It gets a whole lot of amens when you preach that kind of stuff. 
Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Jesus is coming for the one who remains faithful. How do we change the spiritual climate of our life and make sure we don't engage in becoming a lukewarm believer? It's constant surrender. Surrender is the currency to gaining Christ Jesus. Because it's really about a relationship. It's really about a relationship. Our worship team, you guys can go ahead and come back up as we wrap up. At the end of that letter, remember the letter's written to the church. The letter's not written to unbelievers, the letter is written to believers. People who already call on the name of the Lord to be saved. People who are already trying to work out their salvation in fear and trembling. And he says, look, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in. I will sit with you and I want to share a meal with you as friends. It always comes back to relationship with Jesus. Everything with him is relational. It's not always transactional. He's already done the transactional process. He's already paid the debt. He's already eliminated it. He's already disintegrated it. He's already paid the transaction. It's relationship. It's never about being... Uh, strong enough in your own spiritual wealth. It's never been about being good enough in your own self-righteous acts. It's never been about being strong enough in your self-reliance on what you can do and how you can make life happen. It's always been about what he's done, who he is, and he's coming again. And it's about relationship. So the door that he's knocking on is the door of our heart. Is the door of our heart. He said, well, man, I already, I already opened that door. Jesus is already inside me. Exactly. But here's what happens. Here's what so many of us are guilty of doing. We compartmentalize Christ to a corner of our heart. Instead of allowing him to have free reign to walk around in our home, the home of our heart, and do what only he can do. Christians. The Christians of Laodicea, the Christians of Madison County, New Life Church. Jesus says, I am standing at the door of your heart. You know that part of your heart where you, where you said, you're not going to come in? That's where I'm knocking. You know that part of your heart that's real hurt? That's real messed up? Where you got a lot of confusion? You know that part of your heart where, where you got some secrets? You know that part of your heart where you're keeping all that stress and all that worry? That's the part of your heart right now that I'm knocking on. He says, if you'll get up from the room and you'll walk over to that door and you'll take your hand and put on that doorknob and turn it and open it, I'll walk in. And when I walk in, I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to share with you. I'm going to share with you what I know about what I can do with what's in your heart. Because my child, you were never meant to carry all that on by yourself. You were never built, you were never wired enough and created enough to handle it all on your own. That is why you have always needed me. So if you'll get up and walk across the room and take your hand and turn that handle to that door, I'm begging to come in. 
Because when you open the door, whatever ounce of darkness was there, a light steps into the room. And light always overrides darkness. Just like love always overrides hate. Every single time. When you are confronted with pure love, you can't help but melt. And so when he's telling the church, is what he's telling us today, I know the condition you're in. Truth be told, church, we all have a measure of lukewarmness. Truth be told, we all have some self-reliance. Truth be told, we, we all have some self-righteous acts that we're real proud of. Truth be told, we really take a lot of weight in our spiritual growth. Look how far I've come. Truth be told, we have all that happening. It may not all be prevalent. It may not all be real huge. That's the deception that if we buy into thinking it's not that big of a deal, it won't be long that Jesus is going to be spitting us out of his mouth. And he doesn't want to spit. He wants to sit. And the only way he can sit is when we open the door. So I believe the Lord wants to do something really, really special. That when we let him have free reign and access to all of our heart and only do what he can do, he will build that faith in you. Some of you are in here thinking, man, I wish I just had some more faith. I wish I had a little bit stronger faith because there are some days I just don't feel like I can overcome. There are some days I just don't feel like I, I can make it. I don't think I could face that again today. And Jesus is saying, look, I can make your faith stronger. I can make your faith stronger. And he can only do, he can do what he can do and as he will make our life righteous. Where we don't have it together, guess what? Jesus makes us have it together. Grace is not a license to just do what we want. Grace empowers us to be godly in this ungodly world. How do we get grace? We open the door. We open the door. And he can do what he can do and he can open our eyes take off mask take off cover take off blindness and he'll help us to see life is really not as bad as we thought it was or this problem is really not as big as I feel like it is this heaviness, this weightiness that I feel, that I have, when Jesus opens and comes in the room and he opens our eyes, we realize he is greater than anything you and I could ever, ever face. So church is hard, but there is beauty in this church. There is beauty in the church of God. That it's not a building, but it's a group of people. It's holy ground. 
It's a refuge for the broken. It's training ground for mighty warriors. Church is where we can help burden, shoulder the burdens, and give hope to one another. Church is a family. Church is the body of Christ, even on those hard, hard days. And those are the days where we need to be in church. We need to thank God when it's not so hard. And we need to make ourselves go when it is really, really hard. I'm going to invite you to stand.